The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Is this, this is, I'm going to answer my question, yes, the fourth radio person that we've had on? Oh, um, Think I don't it. know. 300 yeah, and something episodes, Holly, you should memorize every single guest. I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm failing you. Yeah, probably. Yes. John, JD, Scott, now Rachel first, Gentleman. First U.S. radio. First American. Oh, no way. Look yeah. at that. Yeah. So, so shout outs to whoever said that we should talk to uh, Rachel Gentleman because here you are and we are so thankful that you said yes. Well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, of um, course. Pastor, radio, podcaster, author. There's probably other things that I'm not even mentioning that you're just amazing at. Uh, what would be, maybe be some of those things? Well, most importantly, obviously, is a wife and mom. Those are the two most important things that I do. But yes, I love being a part of radio. I loved my years of pastoring. I do miss my years of pastoring, but I know that being in radio is where God has me. And I'm enjoying just talking about Jesus every single day on air. And I love being able to do podcasts and interview people. And of course, yes, I write books as well. Does <laughs> does someone ever get out of pasteurizing? Like once you become a pastor, do you just, if you say I'm no longer that, like, do you just, that's it? That is a great question. And what I tell people is it was kind of that, in a sense, a grieving process coming out of pastoring and going into radio. But then I had to say, you know what? I have a pastor's heart. And I just have to say, okay, so from 10 to 2, every single day, I'm your pastor in the car. Mm. And that's how I've had to look at it. That's I'm good. going to speak Jesus, and I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to encourage you, bring you hope from 10 to 2 every day. Yeah. That's such a great way of looking at it, too. Uh, Shout-outs to your station. What's your station? WLJN in Traverse City, Michigan. So I've got to do the hands. So if okay. you know anybody from Michigan in the United States... They always point to their hands, so I live right here. Okay. In the mitten. Oh. In the mitten. Yes. In the mitten. <laughs> I don't even know where that is. I mean, I know, like, I know, I know Detroit. I know. So Detroit's down here. Okay. And then we're about four hours from Detroit. All right. So uh, near thumb up to pinky. All right. Here we are. <laughs> um, we like to ask this skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go, Rachel. Who are you and where did you come from? Oh my goodness. Who am I and where am I come from? So is this like my Jesus story? Is that what you're asking? Wherever this goes is kind of your answer. <laughs> yeah, we're here okay. for it. All right. Well, uh, I grew up a PK police officer's kid. So oh. I come from military uh, law enforcement family. My mom was army. My dad was Marines. And then Ooh. when we lived in Florida, so down at the bottom of the United States, my dad was a narcotic or narcotics officer down there. And we moved to Michigan in my younger years and my parents divorced. And then we moved to where I live now in Traverse City. My mom, my brother and I, my brother's severely autistic. So I grew up with a severely autistic brother. Back then, nobody knew what autism was. So I had yeah. to explain it quite a bit. Nowadays, it's kind of an everyday ter term, mm -hmm. but back then it w wasn't so much. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home. And it was about when I was 16 years old, I was waiting tables at a local restaurant and a guy had asked one of the other waitresses to church. And so she had asked me to come with her. And I said, there is no thanks. I have <laughs> no desire to, to go to church. I wasn't seeking. I wasn't anything. Well, then she said, you know, Rachel, cute boys go to church. I said, <laughs> oh, well, I'm in. Okay. 
So I show up Sunday. It was a Sunday night when we used to do Sunday night services. I had never seen worship before. There's people singing. I just, like I said, didn't grow up in the church. All I knew was what was on TV. And it was normally 80 year old people singing old hymns. And this was not it. Mm -hmm. And during, this was in the summer. So there were uh, two sisters up in front worshiping that I had gone to school with. So this is the summer before my junior year of high school. I went in my yearbook the next day, Monday morning, and I'm looking for their phone number because back then you would put your phone number in the yearbook and say, call me over the summer. Yeah. So I called one of the sisters and I said, what was that? What was that that I just saw? So now she's in a sense, sharing the gospel with me. And I'm freaking her out because I know nothing about Jesus. And she's Mm -hmm. freaking me out because she knows everything in my mind about Jesus. And she asked me to go to youth group with her on Wednesday. And I just happened to have the Wednesday off. The youth pastor wasn't speaking. It was a guest speaker. But at that moment, I realized, oh, I don't know where I'm going. I just assumed I knew where I was going because I'm a good Mm -hmm. person. I haven't done anything wrong. Why wouldn't I go? I believe in God. So why wouldn't I go to heaven? And I decided, well, I want to go back on Sunday. And I'm like, I hope, I hope they don't get upset because I show back up on Sunday and they didn't <laughs> ask me. So I went to church, Teen Challenge. And if you've heard of Teen Challenge, it's an organization that helps people with rehab. And they were doing a presentation that day. And all these people are sharing their testimonies on how God had set them free from drugs and alcohol. And at the very end of the service, the guest pastor says, so who would like to accept Christ in their heart? And I thought it was a hypothetical question. And I said, well, oh, well, who wouldn't? And I look around and nobody else is raising their hand. <laughs> and I went like this, but it was too late. The pastor saw me, called me up front. I said some prayer that I have no idea what I said. So I got saved by accident. <laughs> but I knew at that moment that my life was different. And I kept mm. going back. And For me, it was more of a fear of the Lord and kind of an unhealthy fear of, oh, I need to do this because if if I don't follow Jesus, it's eternal damnation. But then that over time evolved with God really pouring out his love on me and really understanding the love that he has for me. When I was about 19 is when I felt a call to ministry. And then 21 is when I felt called to preaching ministry. It's interesting, though, because your parents fall into the line of uh, military police, fire, nurse, teacher, all of those occupations are then what their kids are most likely to become. If your mm-hmm. parents is that, you'll follow suit. Did you feel like you needed to go into the military or become a police officer? Or was that something that you were not interested in? No, but there's a part of me that regrets it, which is weird because I know it's that wasn't God's plan. But there's always that part of me that says, I really wish that I would have served my country. I'm always... I'm always watching cop shows because there's that part of me that wants to be, you know, Detective Olivia Benson on Law and Order or somebody super cool like that. I think in my mind, I'm going, man, I could do a lot more with my life if I was some sort of cool cop. But Mm. I didn't feel pressure to go into that. But there's a part of me, that secret part of me that wishes that I could, even though I know that's not my calling. But you are serving your country. Yes, yes, yes. Just a different kind of (laughs) Well, I do have my CPL, so. Oh, there you go. Yeah, because I'm in America. I was going to say, Johnny, she's not in Canada. What's a CPL? So it's it's concealed carry, which means I'm allowed to carry a gun privately concealed, but you have to go through training and all that stuff. And you can do that in Michigan? Mm Mm-hmm. So it's our Second Amendment right. 
There you go. The right to bear arms. I know that one. Yes. Yeah. I've been working out. I'm trying to bear arms. (laughs) Oh, please don't bear your arms. (laughs) Not much there. You two are like brother and sister, aren't you? I love it. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It's just been two decades. Yeah. Well, what an incredible story. I'm curious, though, because you you talk about how your first idea of God and it kind of came more from fear. Yeah. As opposed to like the the healthy fear of God, did was any of that in place because of being so exposed to army police enforcement, mm-hmm. kind of that leadership, but also like when I think of army, I think that's it's kind of scary. I think more of not necessarily the, my parents' military background, but more in the sense of how I was raised, because really how you see your parents is a reflection on how you see God. And because my parents were divorced and they were remarried, now I have four parents. And a lot of how I saw God was some of how I was treated by certain parents. And I'm not trying to throw any parents under the bus, but there was um, times when I, I always used to thank God as someone who was out to find out my sin and punish me for him. But if I needed help, that he wouldn't come to my rescue in my, he wouldn't come to my need. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, man, it took a long time for me to get where I'm at. But my husband and I, we got married in 2005. So it was around our first Christmas time. And the movie Chronicles of Narnia oh, okay. had come out in the theaters. Now, again, I was not raised in a Christian home. I'd heard of the book, never read it. I knew the author was Christian, but I didn't know anything about the books. I go to the movies and I'm sitting there. And I'm falling in love with this lion. I just think he's just the most amazing thing on the planet. And all of a sudden I heard the Holy Spirit say, that's who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not mean, awful God. You think I am. That's who I am. And then I keep watching it. And then Aslan is sacrificed. He represented Jesus. I had no idea that in the book and in the movie, he represented Jesus until that moment. So it was just that confirmation of this is who I am. I have given my life for you. I am not out to punish you, to hurt you, to be super strict in any way. I'm here to to love you and have a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And I think I love- that there's a, there's a lot of people out there that mistakenly see God as that mean, awful God that's out to get them. But part of that is just how they were raised. They They almost, they need an experience with God. You can sit there and say, You need to know your identity in Christ all day long. You can give people the scriptures all day long. You can know it in here, but it's not going to set in until you know it here. And I believe you need to get to know it here through an experience with God, because God doesn't just love us as a whole. He loves us as an an individual and he loves to give us individual experiences. You see it all throughout scripture. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much because I too have, you know, a history and it's, it was really hard for me to think of God the Father as like a loving God, a God that's there for you. Yes. Because as humans, we're like, my only examples are the earthly fathers that I see around. So I I just think that's such a great exercise for people who have not maybe had the best experience growing up. It's like, just imagine the best possible dad ever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's God. Yeah. He doesn't care if you spilt milk. He'll just clean it up with you. <laughs> right, right. It's not a big yes. deal. Yes. Yeah. No, I love absolutely. That. So you, now you're married, you're watching incredible <laughs> movies, and your idea of who God is is drastically shifting. 
how then do you go into the ministry and then shift into a radio ministry? Well, I had known it since I was 19, I was called a ministry, but I, I, I really, I didn't have a whole lot of coaching. Mm. So I was just kind of, in a sense, groping, just trying to find my way through everything. And my husband and I had two kids at the time and they were little and he was going back to school for social work. And I knew that I wanted to go back to school for ministry, but I was like, well, that's not going to happen until our youngest is in kindergarten. I just, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. And he, my husband said, if you don't do it now, it's not going to happen. So just do it now. And when he would go to school, which was at night, the kids would go to bed. I would hit the books. And I, through that, just became a credentialed minister, and I really felt strongly the church I was at, and I was working in the office, which I loved working for the church, but I hated working in the office because I'm just not very administrative. I'm not a secretary, but I loved being at the church. And there had been some little talks here and there about hiring a children's pastor, and I really felt like God was pushing me, like, you're good, that's going to be you. And I'm thinking... Lord, I don't even know if I like my own kids. You really <laughs> want me to do this? And for about a year, I, I just kept getting that sense and it was stronger and stronger. So I said, okay. And I got involved in the children's ministry and I just started researching as much as possible. And one of the articles that I had read on children's ministry said, do you love working with kids? Well, then you shouldn't be a children's pastor. Mm. And that took me off guard. And they said, when you are a children's pastor, you're going to be working more with leaders and parents. And I felt, oh, this, I mean, yes, of course you work a lot with children, but it was my confirmation of you don't have to want to sit on the floor and just be enthralled with all these kids to be a kid's pastor. Your job is really going to be facilitating and creating teams and raising up leaders and helping mm-hmm. parents. And so about a year into that, our senior pastor had come to me and he's like, hey, listen, I need somebody with different skills working in the office. So pretty much I'm going to be letting you go. He said it in a really nice way. I'm going to be letting you go. So I need you to send me everything that you do. And I just I just went out on a limb and I sent him everything I did. And I said, "Okay, well, I'm just letting you know that when you decide to hire a children's pastor, I'm applying. Mm. And the next month they hired me. Wow. And that's, and I did that for almost 10 years and it was about 2020, January of 2020, I came into work after a vacation and I knew something wasn't right and I was really struggling. And I talked to a friend who was a counselor and he said, I think you're moving into your next season. It's time for you to quit what you're doing. And I kind of knew that it was coming, but I was kind of, I was afraid to step out in faith. And about a few months later, I put in my resignation and he said, my senior pastor says, well, what are you going to do now? I said, I don't know. Maybe I'll go back to school, but I'm probably just going to do the stay at home wife thing. My husband's going to work on finding a job that's going to support me while I stay home. I go home that very afternoon. My husband gets a text from someone who worked at a company that he had been trying to get into for the past four years that said, hey, they apply. They, they, they're ready to hire you. Mm. So the next month he got that job and I said, well, man, I, 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 it's going to be really weird not working. I need to do something to keep up my communication skills because I know that I'm called to preach, but what am 
am I going to do to keep up my communication skills? Oh, I know I'll start a podcast. So I mm-hmm. knew some people in broadcasting and I reached out to them and I said, hey, listen, I know broadcasting and podcasting are different, but they overlap. So what what advice can you give me? And one of the ladies that I met with, she says, well, come on into my station and you can do a mock interview with me. I said, oh, that sounds great. We set a date. She calls me two weeks prior to it and says, can you come in tomorrow instead? Mm. I said, yeah, but I don't have anything ready to interview you with. She goes, oh, no, I'm going to interview you. Okay, that sounds odd. I don't (laughs) think she remembers. I don't think she remembers why I contacted her. And I called a friend of mine who was on the board of the station. I said, hey, does does Jane, what kind of coffee does she like? I'm going to bring her her favorite coffee. So he's asking me all these questions. Well, what do you want to do? I'm talking about the podcast. I'm telling him my ideas. Well, how would you like to be on air every day? Mm. He said, oh, I don't know if I could do that and this and that. We're just going back and forth. He said, okay, well, you're going to tomorrow interview with DC, which was Jane's husband who did the morning show. And I said, oh, no, I'm interviewing with Jane. He goes, no, you're going to interview with DC. And now I'm going, I hung up the phone and I looked at my husband. I said, what? I I'm interviewing for a job. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what's going on. So I get here. They do this interview. with I'm in, I'm in the room right now, the interview studio. They do an interview with me. They take me and introduce me to all the different people. I sit down with the general manager for a good 10 minutes. He's asking me my story. Then I sit down with the guy that did the morning show for 45 minutes. And he's like, he was in his 70s. He's like, yeah, we're getting older around here. We could use some younger blood. So why don't you just pray about it? And he, and he walked me out the door and I went, what am I praying about? What just <laughs> happened? Yeah. And then a m- month later they called and they said, would you be interested in being one of our radio personalities? I said, okay. And uh-huh. I had no broadcasting training whatsoever. I showed up and I trained for a whole month and then they gave, they gave me my own show after a month. Uh-huh. So I think they were either really desperate or. <laughs> 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 they were smoking some legal stuff here in Michigan. I don't know. Oh my goodness. Um, there's there's two parts of that that I really want to dive into. The first one was that you said uh, stepping out in faith. What does that look like to you? Because I, I say that because there are so many people who are going through a transitional time or they mm-hmm. feel like there's this, uh, this tug on, hey, you got to step out. You got to do this. But there's so much. We're so scared to step out and we're so yeah. scared to fail. And, you know, you have a pastoral job and you're comfortable, yeah. but then you're like, I got to step out. I think sometimes we're just, as you know, you continually hear pastors preach, too scared to step out of the boat. You do it afraid. You just do it afraid. Yeah, you're afraid. Yeah, I'm scared too, but you do it afraid. And that's easier said than done. I can say that because I did it. I think that transition was the first time I ever felt that God was holding me. I said to my husband, there was so much unknown ahead that summer. And I went, you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay because I know that God's going to take care of it. Because again, from my past and coming from a military law enforcement background, you don't ask for help. You work hard and you do everything on your own. So to ask God for help has been a real struggle for me over the years. And to rely on him as dad. And that's what I was doing. And the only advice I can give is the same advice that was given to me. And that is you do it afraid. And if Mm. you mess up, if you miss God, he'll find you. You do this interview, but it takes an entire month for them to get back to you. 
what do you do in this month's time? Because if I ever do an interview and I don't get a call back in like two days, I'm like, well, yeah, I suck. I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm going to go work at the, uh, you know, Walmart. I'm going to become a greeter. Right. Yeah. So I am pretty much, I bought a bunch of podcasting equipment, which was a waste of money because I ended up working at the station and I just started planning ahead of not having a job here Mm -hmm. is really what I did. I'm like, well, I'm going to keep planning. And it was so weird because I applied for things like shipped. I don't know if you have shipped where you're at, but it's where people can grocery shop for you. And I applied to like these different places because I'm going, well, I still need to, even with my husband's new job, we're still going to be short a couple hundred dollars. So I got to figure out something. And I couldn't even get a job with shipped (laughs) going, I am so overqualified to grocery yeah. shop for people. Yeah. I'm a mom. Like I know how to grocery shop. I'm overqualified for this. Right. And yet I couldn't get a job doing that, which should have been my confirmation that something was coming. I don't know. But hmm. really, I think that month was me going, okay, well, I'm not hearing anything. I'm just going to move on as if it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And now here you are podcasting. Uh, you're on air. You wrote a book. Yes. You're an author. Yep. What don't you do? Yeah. I'm going for punishment is what it is. I don't sleep. That's what it is. So yes, I actually, this book, I wasn't even planning on writing a book. It Now I want to write all the books. But Mm -hmm. what had happened was in 2017, I had... I had preached on Mother's Day. Normally it's our pastor's wife that preaches and she was going to be out of town. So I preached Mother's Day and I just, I was so burdened by the state of women in our country. We had just had the 2016 election and there was all these women on women's marches doing this for equality and opportunity. And all I could think was, what? You live in America. Like what opportunity don't you have? And, but It's also coming from someone who has experienced, I've been to Africa and Asia and all these third world countries where women do not have anything. I've been to places where I was not allowed to look men in the eye because I would be seen as a prostitute. I've been to countries where I sat there and fed nine-year-old little girl prostitutes, probably the only meal they couldn't get that they didn't have to work for that week. Like I've seen what women don't have. So I was so confused on on these marches. And I, in a sense, I was angry. I'm like, do you not get the opportunities you have here? And then I had to sit back and go, you know what? These women are really hurt. They mm. just don't know how to express their, I, I can't expect godly behavior out of ungodly people. And they're hurt, wounded. And the only way they can get healing is with Jesus. And I just began writing. And at the same time, my son was big into World War II airplanes. And so we would get all these books at the library from World War II. And I came across a book on all the women that served during World War II. And I was, I just fell in love with them because mm. here were these women who they saw a war and they said, okay, I'm in. There was no pulling the gender card. There was no pulling the race card. There was no anything. It was, there is a war and I have to get in it. Mm. And they, I mean, they were working in factories. They were Uh, developing machine guns. They were nurses in the Philippines. I mean, these women were doing amazing things because they knew that the sooner they got involved in the war, the sooner their husbands, their sons, their brothers, their dads would come home. And I thought, how much more should we as Christian women 
knowing we are in a spiritual war, be involved, knowing that the sooner we get involved, the sooner Jesus comes back. So I kind of wrapped my Mother's Day sermon around this idea of, hey, we're in a spiritual war, get involved. And it had it had a whole World War II theme. <clears throat> and after the message, I mean, everybody reacts to your messages and they come up and talk to you when you're done speaking. But I was shocked at the response I got. I had so many women coming to me crying and hugging me and thanking me for not putting them in a box of this is what you should be as a woman because mm. the world gives you a box and the, even the church gives you a box of what yes. you should be. But yet scripture, there's no box like these women. There is no mold in scripture of these women. They are all different and they all served in different ways. And I even had men coming to me in tears and I thought, okay, Lord, you struck a chord somewhere. So I just kept writing. And through the writing, developed this book, which I ended up publishing last year. This is my daughter, by the way, on the cover. Nice. I couldn't find it. The book is called The Real War on Women. The Real War. Yes. The Real War on Women, Overcoming uh, Culture's Lies to Freely Live Out Your God-Given Purpose. And every chapter starts out with a, a story of a woman from World War II. Mm. And I compare her to the woman, a woman in the Bible, and then I describe how that applies to our lives today. Amazing. My kind of book, 100%. Oh, yay. Are you a history nerd? I she's love a, she's history. an empowering woman nerd, too. She's <laughs> like, if there's any opportunity for a woman yeah. to be in charge, yeah. or this is, this is, ha- this is right up. Home. <laughs> yeah. Even like the books that I've given my kids to read, they are either, um, celebrating their curly curly hair because they are three-quarter black and it's you know they're looking at people that look like them because representation matters they have books of like female heroes that like dive into women who are in science and like all those different areas inventors and i just well you'd love this one it's all it's all sorts of amazing stories about these women that just jumped in pilots and love that machine gunners and everything and what I love also is that you compare it to a woman in the Bible, because I grew up wondering where the women were in the Bible. Mm. And yet the women narrative in the Bible, like in Jesus's life is so rich. Yes. And yet there's these little girls going to church and you learn about John the Baptist and you learn about, you know, Matthew, Mark, and, you know, you go through all of that and you're like, mm-hmm. well, where are the ladies? Yeah. Well, Where is were... Mary Magdalene, who was at Jesus's feet as he is being crucified, who exactly. was there as he is getting put into the tomb and who was there to see that the tomb was gone. And yeah, yeah. so there's a yeah. lot of, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love all the men in scripture. Sure, I love for sure. about the men in scripture. But yes, I love all the women in scripture because of the fact yeah. that it does not fit a mold. And I think... Mm. We always complain that the church tries to put women in the mold. Well, so does the world. The world Mm -hmm. tells you you have to uh, not be a mom and not be uh, a wife because that's holding you back. And and you have to have a career. And then the church, well, I shouldn't say the church. Some churches, not where I grew up. Some churches say, well, you have to not have a career and you have to be just this wife and mom. And it's like, well, that's not what you see in scripture. You see all sorts of different people. You do. Even like the example of Mary Magdalene, it -hmm. was like Mary of Magdalene, which was a place. And quite often it was just the men that were named with a place in mind. So I never thought about that. So for her to have like the place attached to her name is Mm -hmm. really quite significant when you dive into just the historical facts and the way they were. 
It is the uh, Why Me Project podcast, um, where in the hills and valleys of life, we ask God that question. God, why me? Why am I going through this? Why are you using me in this way? Can you think of a time when you were asking God that question? God, why me? Oh, man, I'm going to try not to cry. You can um, if you need to. Yeah, we've done many times. This is a, a safe place. A lot of tears. I- I would prefer not to, but we'll see what we can come up with. I I just want I, I the most recent thing that comes up is I've really struggled a lot with my my children. My children are not special needs, but they have special needs. And I think it's it's different growing up as a sibling of a person with special needs than it is of a parent that has special needs. As a sibling, I would love to write a book one day about being a, a, a sibling of a special needs child because we talk a lot about parents, but we don't talk about right what it's like for the sibling. But for me growing up, there was no grieving process. There was no why me, because this is just what you've always known. This is just what you do. Mm -hmm. Well then, but you have your own children and you have expectations now because you're dreaming, you're dreaming, you're watching them do really cool things. And you're like, Oh, well, what if they, they love all this doctor stuff because one day they're going to be a doctor or look at how they're building Legos. Maybe they're going to be an engineer. And you're, you're, you're dreaming about, what your kids could be but as they get older those expectations start to die because maybe they have specific needs and so with all three of my kids I've had to they've had to have therapies they've had to have 504 and IEP plans I don't know if anybody in Canada knows what 504 IEP is they're just specialized education plans while you're at school Mm. that a teacher has to meet and Mm. those are some and you have to meet with the principal and all the therapists and your teacher and you have this meeting and in the meetings you you pretty much talk about all the things that are wrong with your child and that's really mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. and yeah I'm sitting here going why me and when my youngest was in kindergarten we went through it just felt like hell and back that I had to add I just I turned into that mom and I said to my husband I I don't want to be that mom and he said well if you're not who's going to be yeah, yeah. so I had to advocate for him in different ways and come to find out he had sensory problems and you can call it sensory processing disorder. I just, I'm, I feel like we just overuse that word disorder. So I find it irritating, but it's just where you're taught that you have five senses in school. Well, actually you have seven, but I'm not going to go into that, but you have seven senses. And when it's off in your body and you're not receiving them the way you should, your body reacts in specific ways. And there's two types of, sensory processing disorder, there's hypo and hypersensitive. If you look at autistic kids, most of them have hypersensitivity. Mm. They walk into a room with tons of people and it's really noisy and they go like this and they can't stand it or the lights are too bright or they don't like to be touched. Well, my son, he's not autistic, but he is the opposite. He's hyposensitive and he can't get enough sensory input. Mm. He would, he would get in your face and he would constantly touch you because he needed that touch and uh, I'm trying to think of all the other things in him. He would, his, his oral, he would have to chew. I have to get him chew necklaces because he would constantly be chewing on everything and he would chew on his hands. And there was just sensory, uh, it wasn't uh, working well in his body. So he was all over the place mm. and the school didn't know what that was. And I didn't either. And I mm. was really disappointed in myself because at the time I'm a children's pastor. I'm like, I pride myself in knowing all the things about ADHD and autism and all the stuff so I can help my students. And I don't even know what sensory processing disorder is. And teachers didn't. So not only did I have to educate myself, then I had to educate the school. Mm -hmm. 
And then I had to fight for my kid to just stay in school because really they wanted to kick him out because they felt, oh, well, he's just too immature for kindergarten. No, it's actually he needs help. He is not getting the sensory input that he needs. And by the end of the year, his whole desk screamed sensory processing disorder because I had the weighted vest and I had a weighted pencil and I had a weighted blanket for nap time. And I had uh, little fuzzy things bottom of his desk so he could have something to touch. And he just had all this stuff to help him throughout the day. What was crazy was I couldn't wait for him to get into school because he was driving me crazy. And I didn't realize why he was driving me crazy was because he had all these sensory problems. And now he doesn't drive me as crazy. He still drives me crazy, but it's in a different way. way. (laughs) But now I understand him and I had to fight really hard to one, keep him in school, but also make sure he got therapies, make sure he got everything he needed in the classroom so he could learn. And I just remember after one of the IEP meetings, getting in my car and I just was, I was just that ugly cry, you know, where you got snot running down your face. I mean, you're just ugly crying. And it was that why me moment, God, why? I I don't get this. I don't want to be the experiment family. I don't want to be the guinea pig or, or the trailblazing family in this. This is way too painful. And it's so painful to sit and hear every, all the wrong things about your kid. And I just, I thought of that scripture in first Thessalonians and I said, okay, I'm really angry with you right now, but I thank you because I know that in first Thessalonians, it says we are to thank you in all circumstances. And that's what I'm going to do. I don't know why I'm thanking you, but I'm doing it. And that moment is when I began to fall in love with my son because I didn't love my son. I loved him because I was his mom. That was it. I was not in love with my son until that moment when I said, okay, Lord, I don't know why, but I thank you. I mean, he's over time with all the therapies and everything, he's doing really well. I mean, he has some other issues. He has dyslexia and dysgraphia, but those are things that, you know, we can work with. There's a lot of successful people out there with, with dyslexia and dysgraphia. We can do that. And because of his therapies, he, he knows his body now where I can see the sensory input is out of control. I can say, okay, Jace, what does your body need right now? It mm. needs to run. Then that's what you need to go do. Go and mm. run. He can, he recognizes when his body is off and we can solve the problem where when he was five, yeah. couldn't recognize that. We all have sensory issues. Every single one of us, we don't like tags in the back of our shirts or we don't like pe- being around loud noises. But what do we do as adults? We can avoid it. We mm-hmm. know how to avoid. I don't, I hate watermelon. I know everybody loves watermelon. I hate it because I don't like the texture. It's a sensory issue with me. So what do I do? I don't eat watermelon. Five-year-olds don't have that option to avoid uh, certain sensory things. Holly's my sensory issue. (laughs) Try to avoid her. Kidding. You You have how many kids? Three? I have three. My daughter is 17. Shout out to her. She's taking welding while she's going in while she's in high school. Sweet. So when she well graduates, she'll be a certified welder. I know. Pretty cool. Amazing. My one, my middle guy is 14 and then my youngest is 10. Okay. Wow. And, and is, is it just your one son who deals with certain things? My middle guy has a lot of uh, comprehension issues. He is the kid that he's too good for this world. In my mind, mm. he's just too wholesome. He's my, oh, mm. shucks, mom. Like, should have been born in the 1950s. I don't understand why you are living Aww. right now. You guys. <laughs> this comprehension 
is off, which makes for a lot of, I mean, I've had so many people ask, well, have you gotten him tested for autism or this and that? And I'm like, yes, we have done all the things. He's not. He just Mm -hmm. struggles with understanding certain concepts, which makes his, makes academics really difficult for him. Yeah. And then when my daughter was younger, my daughter's fabulous. Now that she's 17, everybody says teenagers are terrible. I love (laughs) having teenagers, but maybe because everything was so bad younger. (laughs) But when my daughter was little, she could talk, but she couldn't talk in conversation. She just Mm. had a large vocabulary and she would explode. I mean, we'd be in the middle of Target and just at the drop of the hat, she would just scream bloody murder and she would just be flailing all over the place. And I'd have to bring her out kicking and screaming and it's your firstborn. So you're wondering like, what am I doing right or wrong? I'm giving her all the love that I can give. I'm disciplining. Like what the heck is happening? And she would at home, we had hardwood floors in the house. She would have bruises all up here because she would get so angry that she would body slam and she would bang her head on the hardwood floors. If I put her in bed at night for a half hour, she would run from one end of the bedroom to the other body slamming up against the door. I mean, and screaming. And I mean, I just had no idea what to do. So finally, somebody told me the people that you call. And I called them. I let them know everything. They came to my house to test her. And of course, my greatest fear was, is she going to be autistic? And that was a fear of mine because I grew up with a severely autistic brother. I just didn't like that was my life. And I just didn't want to do it with kids. Mm -hmm. And she she came to my house. She did all these tests with her. And she, pretty much what it came down to was she just needs speech therapy. That's mm. what her problem is. Oh, wow. That's it. They're like, she's not autistic. She's not ADHD. She's not anything. She just needs speech therapy. And I'm thinking, that's it? Yeah. Like, that's what's going to solve this problem? So for a couple years, she went to pre and, and, and well, at first they're like, okay, you're going to need to put her in a preschool, this and that. And I said, I can't afford all of that. They was like, oh no, this, your taxes pay for that. You're, you're, you're covered. Wow. It's like, oh, well, praise the Lord. Amazing. Yeah. And she went to preschool for a couple years and got speech and occupational therapy. I probably, I think she probably got some physical therapy too. I know my youngest got physical therapy and it was like a light switch came on. After about a month of speech therapy, she went from an explosion every single day to about once a week to once a month to none. Because now she was able to express what was going mm. on in here that she couldn't before. Yeah. So wow. those are those are some of my big why me God moments. But it has opened up doors for me then to be able to connect with other parents. Because sometimes as a parent, you think you're the only one. Yeah, that's going through some struggles with your kids or you're struggling because, well, my kid's not autistic or they're not ADHD. They don't have any of these labels, but yet they're struggling in these areas. And I'm able to come in and say, you know what? I get it. Let's talk. And it may, it, it helps me also to become more relatable to people, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a lot to, to yeah. process as a, a parent and then yeah. you still are, you know, a pastor and working with people. And I do want to ask, how have you been able to do the self-care and, and balance that? I feel like a lot of people right now have so much happening. We're all like going at 100 percent and it's not sustainable. So what are no. some of those practical things that you've done just to be able to pause, breathe and then start back up again? A lot of it for me has been having to recognize that I'm doing too much. 
I, I, because I've always been raised, you work hard and you just keep working. You don't ask Mm -hmm. for help. You just keep going. Mm -hmm. And if, even if you sit down, you almost have rest guilt. You, You feel lazy when you just sit. My husband, he can sit and thumb through Instagram or Twitter all day long. And he's totally fine. And he's like, baby, just need a rest. And I'm like, I can't do that. I can't just sit and watch a movie. Like I have to do stuff. It's, I think it's more recognizing who you are as a person and then saying, okay, how then do I adapt to self-care? And what does, what is self-care? Because when I hear that word, I guess my mind automatically goes to a massage and a pedicure, which I'm totally cool with. I will take that. Any yeah. day. <laughs> but when I would hear the word rest and people would say, well, you need to rest. I'm like, I can't sit in front of the TV and just, you know, watch five movies and eat chips and call it good. It That doesn't feel restful to me. And then I realized with with God, he created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he created rest. There was no rest in that first six days. Seventh day, yeah, he rested, but he had to create that. And I realized, you know, what brings a lot of people rest is creating something. So whether it is, and, and it doesn't have to be everybody. Some people find rest in their, in exercise and sports and stuff. The gentlemen's athletes, we are not. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be doing any sports, <laughs> but oftentimes it is creating something. And I've found carving out that time to say, okay, I'm just going to bake cookies today just for the fun of it, because that makes me feel rested. Hmm. or creating a scrapbook or, or, you know, whenever I create something that, and I've had to purposely plan out rest, which sounds weird, but I've learned that that's what I have. I personally have to do is I don't need one more thing on my to-do list, but that's, I mean, it's a commandment. (laughs) God specifically said you need to rest. And I, I think that's the one commandment that we all put off. We're like, oh, that's a suggestion. No, it's it's kind of not. It's something that we have to be doing, and I've I've just had to recognize that I have to plan it. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it does. I mean, we had bracelets. WWJD. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus uh-huh. rested. Yeah, he took naps. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm gonna go take a yes. nap right uh, now. In the middle of a storm, <laughs> he was napping. I mean, come on, guys. That's the reason why on the seventh day God created football, and on Sundays we rest. I'm just saying. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, whether it's uh, books or radio or podcasting at Rachel Gentleman uh, on the socials, rachelgentleman.com, if you want to follow her and see all the amazing stuff that she is doing. We are so glad that you said yes, and we are so thankful that we were able to uh, hang out and hear your heart today. Oh, thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. I really appreciated the stepping out in faith thing. And even though you need to step out in faith and fear sometimes, it's just you need to step out. You got to get out of the boat and just do it. Yeah, and I appreciated the conversation about rest. Hmm. I am so excited to rest around Christmas time. It's kind of running the the marathon and then things kind of calm down just a bit. And I remember someone talking about Sabbath and how how you rest isn't the same as how someone else will rest. So I so appreciate appreciated Rachel talking about how uh, her rest could be baking cookies, but yours could be taking a nap. And Johnny, we know that yours is about football. So it's just There's really cool to see how we're all so unique and we will rest differently. So a pedicure for one does not equate a pedicure for someone else. It is interesting, though, that we feel like and, and I've heard many people talk about it, that it, we have to say that we're busy. And if we're not yeah. busy and people look at you differently, like 
if you, oh, how are you doing? Oh man, I'm busy. Or, oh, I'm so tired because that yeah. is the response that people expect us to have. Yeah. Why not just say rested and doing mediocre? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know my heart. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Anyways, thank you to everyone who has uh, taken time to download, to uh, rate and review, to be a part of all of our socials, the YouTube and everything else. Yeah, we so appreciate you being on this journey with us as we get ready to cross over to 2024. This is is the last episode of 2023. So So. here we go. Hopefully you're encouraged. And if there's anyone that you want to hear next Mm. year. Uh, Make sure you let us know who you think would be a great guest. And then, of course, share with your friends the things that you've heard encouraging about these episodes. And you can always go to faithstrongtoday.com for more. Happy New Year!